Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. I had to run over here. Brian Kelly took my spot and, and I don't know what to do. I don't know where my papers are. Anyway. Welcome, well, folks. you say it's not a marathon, and, and so you kind of sprinted there, and that's the problem. <laughs> that is very, very, very true. Yeah. You owe me ten bucks for letting me use this spot. Okay, I'll put it on my put it on my bill. I'll send you an invoice. Okay, all right, great, folks. Thanks for having me on your show. We'll be taking a good gardening stroll shortly, and if you have any questions, concerns, or comments, three one four. 436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. This morning there was some great lightning I could see in the distance, but no rain, at least in our neighborhood. There was, I didn't see any rain on the, I guess it was all on the east side. I don't know where it actually rained or if it rained at all. But every Saturday morning we get together and we discuss your yard, landscape, garden, house plants, potting mixes to soil improvement, whether to prune or not, what is that bug? What are those diseases? Why is this black? Why is this this? Why is that that? Well, remember, and planting. Correct installation in good soil makes the huge difference. Remember, my words open opportunities. After that, it takes physical and mental effort on your part in this great marathon called gardening. There, If you sprint to something, it does not really work many times, most of the time. And as I said before, this is your show, and I appreciate you being here. And thanks to Greg. He's again producing. I'm Mike Miller. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. Written five gardening books. Two are currently available in various locations. And also I write articles for the Missouri Gardener magazine. During the week, I do landscape consulting, which I call Walk and Talk. You can go to my website, www.mikemillerdesigns.com. On the homepage, there's my email address and phone number where I can be reached. And uh, had some interesting ones this past week. On uh, Wednesday, I was in Florissant, and then I went out to St. Charles. One was a, you know, one actually a very, very unique circumstance around this, uh, let's say, children's center. So it was, uh, they're going to really do some neat things with that. So anyway, today's Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636 861 3344. Uh, pulling up after passing several festival signs. I wonder what festival signs. I wonder what that was. And uh, the street was being swept. There's some red, there was a redbud tree out of a, there's probably like three or four of them along the street right in, the, in this particular area. One of them, the foliage was already turning yellow and dropping. Hmm. Evergreen magnolia was striking against the early morning sky. Uh, 20 or oh, plus mallards. As soon as I stepped out of the car, and these guys were all different kinds of ages, I stepped out of the car, and they headed right towards me. 
And I said, sorry, guys, no food. And they turned around and said, darn it. We are really, really hungry. And uh, some of them jumped in the water. Other ones said, well, you know, if you're going to walk by us, fine. Just kind of leave us alone. So I did. Center Fountain, wow, the sound was very calming. A weeping cherry tree was backdropped by bald cypress. Cicada, or the chorus of cicadas, it seemed awfully early for them to be up making or singing, but boy, they were. And uh, they're singing, the days are getting cooler sometimes, shorter, definitely, and I don't know how much longer that we have to live. So the backside of the ancient ruins, there were some orange-colored cannas, castor bean. Some of the castor bean foliage, some of the leaves, were actually massive, two feet plus across. Then there was also some boxwood, some lantana, some penicetum, or penstemon, sorry, and sage filled the rest of the bed spaces. There was other bed spaces filled with clump-type bamboo that is not really invasive, uh, some four-foot-plus-high red and chartreuse, two different varieties of coleus, and newly installed river birch trees. That was where the area was really soggy, and a weeping willow. And there was a pond that just probably a couple weeks ago, the lotus looked spectacular. The lotus is already headed downhill. So there are still a few green leaves of lotus, but uh, the brown seed pods remind that we had a very good year as far as flowering goes. There's another bed space that a banana is centered and is surrounded by sage. And concrete benches offer a spot to sit and watch the sun rising to the east. And one of the benches is dedicated in memory to Colonel Joseph S. or Joseph E. Valmar and his wife Dorothy. So this is a place where you can just kind of sit and take it easy. There's urns filled with elephant ears, dark maroon sweet potato vine, and, and some more red leaf coleus. And uh, boy, oh boy, there's a sign in the ground near the ruins that says restored 2010 and paid for by Emerson. Where is this? Well, this is Tower Grove Park, and today the festival signs meant that the Festival of Nations is going on today. That's going to be on the side of Tower Grove Park or the end of Tower Grove Park that's the east end. So up there, there's going to be great. Tracy and I go about every other year or so. There's great food. There's great music. There's great dancing. It's just kind of a great, just a fun day. So if you're planning on going, just realize that parking in this park is probably not going to be allowed. So you're going to have to take a shuttle or park other places. And they do have shuttles. They have shuttle spots so you can know. And they actually, the shuttle stops have numbers so you don't get confused. Like, well, let's see what shuttle should I get on. Hmm, I don't know. But anyway, lots of stuff going on in Tower Grove Park today. And farmer's markets this morning. So they're switching from the farmer's market. Then it's going to go to the Festival of Nations. Like I said, it's really kind of a cool event. If you haven't been, you should check it out. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller, on KMOX. Yes, folks, questions, concerns, or comments? What about that rain yesterday? Gosh, we had that really dry drought circumstance, but the end of August is kind of getting us caught back up, and things are looking a heck of a lot better. So uh, maybe you don't have to worry so much about watering, 
But uh, if you have cool season lawns, this is the time of year where you got to get into action. Also, if you're not going to put any grass seed out and you've had a history of weed problems, like with, uh, you know, henbit, annual bluegrass, and all that other stuff, well, this is a time of year where you need to get their pre-emergence down. So let's go now to Fran, and Fran is in South County. Hi, Fran. Um, I'm having a problem with mushroom, mushrooms in my front yard. Um, they pop up like overnight, and they're white, and I have to get out there and dig them up. And this has been going on now for about two months, and they've increased, of course. So now today I think there must have been 30 or so of them out there in various sizes. I need to know how to get rid of them and what causes it. I'm the only one in this subdivision that has them. Basically, mushrooms only grow on dead stuff. So either you've not dethashed your lawn for quite a while or you've had a tree or something that's died and they're growing off the root systems. They're not really problematic other than aesthetically. So they don't cause trouble. They don't you know, make something else die or anything else. So if you want to just kick them or get rid of them or pull them up, that's up to you. But there's nothing that you could possibly do to prevent them from keep going until whatever they're growing on, be it, like I said, thatch of lawn, dead root systems of trees or dying root systems of trees, once that's all gone, then, you know, you won't have this problem. Okay, well, I never had this problem until I got a lawn service. And, <laughs> and now, I mean, it's really, it's true. It's, it's terrible. I don't know what to do, and it's embarrassing. I'm out there every morning, practically, over every five, four or five days, digging up these mushrooms. And I did call the lawn service, and they said something like you said about a dead tree. I haven't had a tree in my yard ever. I get all the neighbors' stuff, but I don't have any right. So the, in the front yard. So what? I don't know. I don't get it. The neighbors' root systems of their trees has come has under let's say undermined your yard, and some of their roots as they age die. And so it's got it. They have to grow off something. They can't just grow on their own. But you don't know how to get a. Other than uh, would you say thatching your yeah lawn? dethatching your lawn if it's growing off your lawn like if have you ever power raked your 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 lawn? Uh, well, my husband did. He always took care of the lawn, but he's no longer with us, so um, I don't know exactly. He used to do all that stuff himself. We've never had a lawn service before, but I I can't do it all by myself anymore. I'm too old. <laughs> But what you need to do then is just, you know, get a lawn service to come out and do dethatching slash power raking. But what type of lawn do you have? Do you have a zoysia lawn or do you have a bluegrass fescue lawn or something like that? Well, I'm really not sure. It's a mixture. We started out with zoysia. We had it for years and years and years, and gradually then it disappeared. And, of course, now I get all the neighbors who don't cut their weeds down, and they come in my yard in the back, and it's, it's just an ongoing battle. Right. But um, anyway, so other than that, no, and I don't know what, it's just a mixture of grass now. Okay. I have no idea. So you probably don't have that much zoysia, because if you had the zoysia lawn, you can, dethatching this time of year is not advisable. No, well, there's, there's, I don't think there's any. Okay, so I, you get somebody come out and do some power raking dethatching, because that may be the problem, you know, more so than the root systems of the neighbor's trees. Mm-hmm. So I should do that. Now, I mean, yeah, this lawn. is the time of year I to do a contract it. Contract with the lawn service, so but they promised me a nice lawn next year, but they <laughs> <came out> twice <laughs> and sprayed junk all over, killed two of my flowers, 
and they're supposed to come out again, and then something about bringing dirt in and filling in the holes and blah, 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 blah. Well, that's great. That's fine. Tell them to get out there and power rake. (laughs) Okay, I'll see what they say. Yeah, and if they say no, then go. I just can't, I just continue to dig them up or just. Well, you can or just don't look at them. They're not really trouble. Well, they're Getting home. rid of them is not going to make them so they don't come back. Okay, they're, but if I don't do anything with them, won't they just cover my grass entirely? No. Oh. They only way. grow exactly where there's dead stuff in that, you know, in that location. Uh-huh. So other areas where there's no roots underneath the ground that are dying or the thatch is not thick, you'll be surprised once you get a power rake dethatched, you may eliminate this problem entirely. Okay, I'll try that. Thank you. Yep, good luck. And now let's go to Althea and Jennings. Hi, Althea. Yes, I have the problem of mushroom and potted plants. So you think my tree roots have died? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) No, so probably what, you know, what it is is there's, you know, some dead debris in your potting mix or whatever it happens to be, and that's what it's growing on. Okay, is it better to have potting soil or I have miracle grow. That's, That's perfect. perfect. Okay, but someone said that my plants wasn't getting topsoil. You don't need topsoil for plants and pots. Okay. So if you're fertilizing, you should be fine. So what do I try to keep? Give me the name of a tree that will grow in a pot. You want an evergreen tree or you want a deciduous tree? How big is First of all, the pot has to be at least 20 inches in diameter. All right. And, I mean, you could try anything from Alberta spruce to mugo pine to some, like, Leland cypress if you want evergreens. And there's, you know, several different deciduous trees that can grow in pots as well. So Al- Alberta spruce. spruce mugo, M-U-G-H-O. Mugo pine, or Leland, L-E-Y-L-A-N-D, cypress. Or even, I mean, if you want something really kind of wild and exotic, there's something called gold thread branch cypress. I've grown all those things in pots and had great success for multiple years. But the pot has to be substantial as far as in diameter, 20 inches. Yes, it is. Gold thread cypress. Gold thread branch. You're saying branch or ranch? Branch. B R A N C. All right. C H. Right. Okay. And where? What nursery would you suggest I go to? Any year-round nursery. Don't buy any plant material that's a nursery that shuts down in another couple of weeks. Because they don't take, I'm not saying they don't all, but their plant material may not be well taken care of. So go to a nursery that's open year round. Okay, well, I'm in North County. Which one would you suggest? No, I don't know all the nurseries anymore, to be honest with you. But uh, just uh, go online and look at, you know, put in your address and see, you know, local nurseries. But just don't go to the big box stores or anything like that. Okay. A local nursery. Right. Right. All right, then. Thank you. Certainly. Good luck, Althea, with that. And now let's go to Carla in Granite City. Hi, Carla. Hey, good morning, Mike. I've got a question for you regarding crepe myrtles. Um, I want to put some in my backyard, 
And I noticed that uh, when I visited the daughter in Nashville, they're used quite extensively down there. They get really nice size, have beautiful bark, a nice vase shape. Just wondering if this far north, can we grow them to that potential? Uh, do, uh, is this a single trunk one or is this a shrub one? So multiple tr- multiple stems coming up out of the ground. Multiple stems. Okay, so there are some massive, huge, like almost two-story high crepe myrtles in some houses in the older neighborhoods. So they don't. Maybe they're not going to be quite as spectacular as they are in, um, let's say, Nashville. But you're going to be absolutely amazed at how you know how well they do here. Okay, so. Is there any particular variety that I should be looking for? No, for the most part, the year again, the year-round garden centers, they're going to okay. keep you know they're going to have varieties that are basically the best ones for this region. Okay. All right. So look for something that's multi-stemmed as opposed to single-stemmed. Yeah, because right. we can't grow the tree-type crepe myrtle here. It's not hardy enough. The shrub types, and we if we have a severe winter, all the stems could get killed all the way to the ground. But then it's, the root system, you know, survive, and then it'll come back from the root system. Okay. Is there anything you can do around the base of the plant to help ensure that uh, the root systems don't die? Well, proper, you know, installation, improved soil, well, good drainage, you know, that's essential. Full sun is going to be the best. And if you want a little bit more information, you can go to the Missouri Botanical Garden website and just put crepe myrtle in. It'll show you, you know, all the, th- I don't know if, if it shows all the crepe myrtles they have on grounds, but there is crepe myrtles all over this region. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much for your help this morning. Have a great day. Yep. You do the very same thing. Yeah. Crepe myrtle, when I was working at the Botanical Garden, I started there in 77 and worked there, you know, for five years. And the crepe myrtles were not as, you know, as popular as they are now. They had about four or five or six or so on the garden grounds. But then all of a sudden people started seeing them and seeing how great they were flowering in the summertime, extended blooming and everything else. Then the garden center started picking up the momentum and said, well, we're going to start carrying these. And it is, I mean, they're just nothing but striking. Let's go now to Sterling in West County. Hi, Sterling. Hi. I had the basic two questions. Uh, one is, what exactly is fish emulsion, and how or where would you use it? And uh, it's an organic I, type fertilizer, basically, is what it is. Uh huh. So it kind of stinks. Oh, okay. So if you don't mind the smell of kind of icky, fishy, then uh, that's personally I don't use it for that reason. But I've used it in the past just to kind of see what it does. But it's a very low analysis organic type fertilizer so it's very mild yes very okay and uh secondly i have some i'm always fighting the deer and i have some uh foundation plants that i want to replace and i have the typical you know missouri clay soil and i was wondering if you could just you know briefly tell me how i could condition it you know with with sand or compost or what what have you to uh give those new plants a, a good chance of surviving. Okay. First of all, sand and clay together, that's how they make bricks. So don't ever put sand in your clay soil. All right. So put compost, like three or four inches, and mix it in with the existing soil. 
So, in other words, you're going to create a nice homogeneous blend with the existing soil, and then they probably, get, for you, maybe in this circumstance, maybe get like a blend, a topsoil uh, compost mix, and then mix three or four inches, put it layer on top, and then rototill the whole space, and that should be adequate for you to uh, plant whatever you choose. All right. Well, I'm glad I didn't buy sand and make bricks. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Thank you so much. Certainly. And let's see, we probably should take a break. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, questions, concerns, or comments. If you have cool season lawns, yeah, they we're starting to get a little bit cooler. The days are getting shorter. You know, I just, you know, I like, you know, some aspects of the cooler weather, but I'll tell you, I mean, when it's dark, you know, so early in the morning, I guess, it gets kind of boring. But anyway, if you do have questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. And folks, you know, I'm going to go back to the mushroom thing because we've had a couple of people say something. But, uh in reality, if you drive around the metro area, you're going to see a lot of people have these problems in their lawn. And it's not – it's an aesthetic problem. All it is is an indication that there are something dead there, and that's how those mushrooms got their start. So in other words, the spores could be blown in. They could come in from all different places. It's not like you have much de- you know, mushroom, let's say, seeds in your ground or something. The spores blow in, and then consequently – when the environment's right and there's something that they can grow on and, you know, just, I mean, a natural thing, the spores blow in, but also just as wood dies, you know, whether it's a tree or anything else, you see mushrooms growing on the sides of trees that are dying or shrubs that are dying or anything like that. So it's kind of an inherent just thing that just happens. But it doesn't mean that your yard is in bad shape or anything else. It just means there's something dead that these mushrooms are coming off of. Let's go out to St. Charles and go into Nancy's yard. Hi, Nancy. Uh, good morning. Uh, tell me what I can do for the violets, that, uh, the wild violets. that They're just very prominent right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, first of all, it's going to take multiple years to get rid of them. You can go out there, step on them, and paint Roundup directly onto them to try to get the ones under control. But uh, you know, putting a pre-emergent down next year when the forsythia is in flower, so in early spring, that would help get them under control because many of them are coming back from seeds that they drop. They drop seeds two different ways. One from the flower that they have, and also one that's kind of a, a seed pod that comes off really in between the leaves and the root system. So it's just once you've got a big colony of you know violets, you're looking at multiple years, regardless of what you do, to get them under control. Well, somebody said to use free zone. Well, you could. I mean, you could try that, but you're not going to. It's not going to eradicate them entirely. You're going to have to keep on this for a couple years. What about all this wild, like, water grass, I call it? I mean, how do you, it seems like it's gone crazy this year. Yeah, it's crabgrass. Okay. And, again, it's a pre-emergent. With that, you know, that's a, you know, a warm season grass. So that's, you know, that started germinating when the weather started getting warmer. So you put the pre-emergent down. The best thing to do is get a soil thermometer. And when the soil temperature 
gets about 50 to 55, that's when you put the pre-emergent down. Most people don't have soil thermometers, so that's why I always sort of equate it with when the yellow forsythia is in bloom. But the crabgrass is prolific this year. It is just amazing. That and spurge both. It, they are the we, the champion weeds as far as what's going on. Now, as the weather starts cooling down, they're all going to disappear. But those things coming up uh, you know, from the leaves that look like kind of like, I guess, bird's feet, those are, I mean, that's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of seeds that are just going to drop. And unless you do something, some of those seeds are going to germinate. So that's what the pre-emergence is all about. Well, is it better than just to wait till spring for the pre-emergent or now? You can, putting it down now it will help get rid of the f- cool season weeds, but it's not going to help get rid of the crabgrass or warm season weeds. There's two different types of weeds. The one that grows in the summertime when it's hot and then one that grows when it's cold through the fall, winter, and early spring. So that's why I always recommend doing two pre-emergents if you have had a problem with the cool season weeds like, you know, henbit and chickweed and those type of things, annual bluegrass. Those are three main cool season weeds, and there's one, a variety of speedwell also. But uh, there's a couple other ones. But the summer, the warm season weeds, they are much more prolific than, the let's say, the winter ones, the cooler season ones. Okay, well, thank you very much. Yeah, so in other words, putting a pre-emergent down will not help get rid of the uh, the crabgrass or any of the warm season weeds because the seeds are not germinating. Pre-emergents only kill things as they germinate. It doesn't kill the seeds that are just laying there. Let's go now to South County into Max's yard. Hi, Max. Hi, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Hey, got a question about lawns. Got a lawn under a 30... 30- 30-year-old pin oak trees, and um, had it resodded a couple years ago, but it looks bad again. Before I resodded it, I was wondering what you'd recommend, what type of grass seed might be best that would have a chance of surviving. There is none. There is none. No, I mean, realistically. It's not the shade. People say, well, if I limit up and let more sun in, that can help a little bit. But it's a tree root systems is competing with the lawn. That plus a shade factor. So you cannot grow lawn grasses underneath trees. It's impossible. Weeds can handle it. Some weeds, you know, but not all weeds can grow underneath trees either. So you're just looking at spending a lot of money and ending up exactly where you are today, you know, a couple years from now. So I guess you're talking about going the ground cover then? Yeah, basically. That's what you're really looking at. And even, you know, people say, well, what if I take the tree out? Well, you can take the tree out. You can have the stump ground out. But the root systems are still going to stay viable and alive, absorbing nutrients and moisture for several years after the tree has been removed. So you still got that window of time that the roots are still going to be, let's say, working against having a decent lawn. Okay, I thought maybe there might be a, some type of fescue or something that might work better under long trees. Well, one thing I always tell, you know, I've told people for years, if you want to have a slightly decent lawn, just get a 50-pound bag of grass seed, and every couple of weeks just grow out and throw more seed. Because that seed will come up, it'll germinate, it'll stay viable, alive, green, you know, for a period of time. As it starts to decline because of the competition with the tree roots, then you've already thrown other seed out, and that's about the only way you're going to be able to do it, which is not just, a recommended way. Just keep throwing grass seed out at it. Exactly. Okay. 
thanks for the information. Yeah, I mean, I hate to be brutally truthful, but uh, you can go to the botanical garden, and you can go underneath the trees that are there. And when you're looking at it from an oblique angle, it looks they look the lawn looks okay. But when you get underneath the trees and you start looking down, you'll see how thin it is. And those people are taking have people taking care of their lawn. Eight hours a day, five days a week, or sometimes even more than that. So then they're correlating, they're doing everything exactly as they should, and they still don't have spectacular lawn underneath trees. It just can't happen. Okay. Just thought I'd check with you. Yeah, well, that's fine. Let's go from South County into South City into Rickshard. Hi, Rick. Hi, Mike. And actually, this is a, a, a sort of good segue from that last caller. I, I live in uh, St. Louis Hills, and our street has got beautiful, you know, 60-, 70-year-old oak trees down it, and the front lawn suffers, you know, just like you were just saying. Right. And so I was thinking about tearing the whole thing out and switching it to one of those, like, hosta-type shade garden kinds of setups. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of wondering, you know, how long does it take to get that going? What's the process, the best way to approach that would be? Uh, it all depends on you know the size of plants you buy. If you're going to use do the hosta, make sure you don't get any of them that have any kind of white variegation to it. You want to get the biggest leaf ones possible because they're going to have a better chance to compete with the tree roots. So th- that is really essential. Like the varieties, you know, Big Daddy, Francie, Francis Williams, those are the ones that have you know the big leaf varieties and do well. Uh, you're going to have to improve the soil. That's going to help with the drainage and everything else. And this is from experience that I had working in the Woodland Garden at the Botanical Garden. Uh, when I started there in 76 or 77, 76, it was done for the bicentennial because an ambassador came over from England, blah, blah, blah. But uh, it was just stuck in there. So I went you know, back in there and I added compost to every you know, bed space and re- took some of the plant material out and replanted the perennial type thing. So that's kind of what you're looking at. It's going to be a long, involved process. No, I'm looking at it right now, and I think it's what you were just saying, like filled with crabgrass. If I if I dig that out, is it just going to come right back again in the middle of all the rest of this? Basically, it can because it's been dropping seeds all summer long. Mm-hmm. So that's the you know, that's the thing that you know it's I guess difficult to grasp or something. These things are you know they started well I think. Probably the crabgrass I saw or I, you know, I watched, because I did have some. I'm slowly but surely getting rid of it in my lawn. But I did have some that I saw some seeds, you know, probably like two months ago. So it was a started forming seeds. Now it's just going nuts because it knows it's getting near the end of its season. You know, it can sense the days are getting shorter, so the temperatures are going to get cooler. And then consequently, so it, they're just producing, let's say, seed, more or less seeds, I mean, by thousands. Yeah. yeah. All right, Mike. Well, thank you very much. Yep. And but you can put the pre-emergent down. You know, if you're not putting any lawn seed down, so pre-emergents don't hurt anything that you're putting in plant-wise. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. Back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 if you have questions, concerns, or comments. Uh, Just expect this time of year, tomatoes, probably any of the warm season vegetables that you've had growing, they're probably not going to ripen all that much. So selectively start taking, they may still continue to produce some fruit, but like I said, they're not going to have a chance to ripen. So you might as well just 
Go ahead and start plucking some of it off, allowing the plant, whether it's a tomato, a pepper, or whatever it happens to be, to use the energy that it has. That is, you know, the plant actually foliage is making food by taking up nutrients and moisture, sending it up through the veins to the leaves. The leaves make chlorophyll, and that's what helps tomatoes form or whatever vegetable you're trying to grow. Also, you know, edible wise. Start harvesting your herbs. This is the time of year where you're going to get the maximum, let's say, taste-wise, aromatic quality, and everything else. So as the days get shorter and shorter and shorter, that's going to get less and less and less. So this is really a time to really make a strong evaluation on what's going on. Your cool season vegetables, your broccolis, your cauliflowers, and all that stuff, yes, I mean, they should be really starting to pick up the tempo because it. We had a few cool days there. Yes, we're going to have some warm days, but they're sort of used to that kind of circumstance. So just start realizing that it's time to start plucking off some of the fruits on your tomatoes, peppers, and warm season type things. Because if you don't, you're just not going to be, you're not going to be satisfied with them. Tony lives in South City. Hi, Tony. Hello. How you doing today? Good. Okay. I was wondering about Zoya fungus. Um, if I would start, Man, I'm thinking for next year. Okay. I think I think I got it stopped. I put some stuff uh, called up stop from Paraloom down. I think I got it stopped. But I was wondering if I start plugging that, maybe next summer, will that attack my uh, my newsoja too? Basically, the way to maybe make sure that you've got this thing under control is to go out and look at the transition where you've got green zoysia blades next to the brown areas. Get down there with a magnifying glass if you have to, down on your hands and knees, and look at the green zoysia grass blades and see if you see any fungus-looking stuff on them. Because if you do, then you don't have it under control enough. But in okay. reality, let's say you got it under control. So if it's under control, then you should not have it should not have an adverse impact on you know plugging new zoysia plugs in there or putting new pieces of zoysia aside either one. And if you do, you may have to make another application of the fungicide. But it won't hurt. You know, it won't have a disadvantage as long as you read the label and follow the label instructions as far as amount, temperatures, and everything else. It should not have an adverse effect on newly plugged zoysia. Okay. I was wondering wondering if I could go with some industrial strength, um, you know, fungicide or not. I bought that from the nursery, really, that I deal with. I was wondering if maybe I need something stronger like a professional use. Well, basically, if it's a professional use, you probably don't have access to it. Some of the things oh, that they okay. have, those products are not available. Oh, okay. so you got to have a license basically to be able to purchase them, and they're just not, you know, not something that you can just go someplace and pick. But look, you oh, know, like oh. I said, look at this transition zone and make sure that you've got it under control. Now, what will it look like when I water it? Sometimes different areas look yellow. Is that it? Uh, generally, it's going to look fuzzy. The, the grass blades oh, are either going to okay. look pink or they're going to look grayish, but the actual grass blade will have fuzz on them. Oh, okay. That's the best oh, way to look. Yeah, the the yellow, I'm not exactly sure what that is, unless it's a low spot and then the zoysia is just not doing well in that spot. Okay. All right. 
Okay, that's what I was wondering. Thank you very much. Yep, good luck with that. Yeah, I mean, it's growing lawn here is not easy. We're in that transition zone. This is one of the few areas in the country where bluegrasses and fescues and zoysias butt heads. Doesn't happen in too many other places. So, Ella in Litchfield, Illinois, how are you? Good morning. I'm fine. I have two questions. Uh, we have a redbud tree that died, and we have a small one we'd like to transplant. I'm thinking the fall now is a good time. Do you have any suggestions about when we should do this? What Fall is a great time. I don't know how big the one is you're going to move, but at least you go out you know, several inches beyond where the trunk is to dig the root system up. Okay. And, I mean, drive... To dig, don't use a shovel. Use a spade, something with a square bottom. Cut a hole all the way around, you know, away from the trunk. And then, you know, once you've gone all the way around, then start prying it up. Okay. Yeah, I think we can do that. Uh, Next question, Creeping Charlie. Our neighbor's yard is, um, you know, it's pretty bad with it. And we've gone out and kind of, ours is, is a few spots we've used a spot application of a weed killer. Anything weed killer we can put down, weed and feed, pre-emergent to try to keep it out of our yard? Uh, basically, a pre-emergent is the best way to do it. So, in other words, okay. next year when the forsythia is in bloom, that's when you're going to put the pre-emergent down. But then yes. post-emergent, after it's growing, the applications just keep doing that with like a, you know, a broadleaf weed killer. Yeah. Okay, thank you so much. Yep. We appreciate you. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a, like I say, it's difficult out there. There's no, it's not easy. And our weather has a lot to do with it. Our soil types have a lot to do with it as well. So there's many different factors that play a role in, you know, success with pretty much anything, whether it's controlling weeds or having success growing things. But uh, with your uh, redbud tree, also make sure before you dig it up, you water it the night before. Because you want it. what that does is hold the root system together very well. So when you pop it up out of the ground, it should do good as far as transplanting. And they're pretty tough trees. So just take it easy. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. I will be back after the news. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, every week I have a struggle with Mr. Brian Kelly because he knows so much about plant material, he keeps, he keeps wanting to take over the garden hotline. And to prove how much he knows, he even brought in tomatoes from his own garden mm-hmm. to share with all the staff here. Do you know what variety of tomatoes those are? Red. Red tomatoes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. those are pretty unique. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, last year we didn't get any, and this year I've got three plants and they're going crazy. That's perfect. I know. So, I know. It's wonderful. I don't know how much longer I can hold you off as far as taking over the garden hotline because you know I'm so old. In. You're yeah. about half my age. I'm 69, and aren't you like oh, 33 or 34? I wish. Yeah. So. No, I don't. I kind of like where I am. Are you? Yeah, yeah. I'd say so. Well, I'm glad you had good success with your tomatoes because I know sometimes it can be very, very frustrating because you were one of the lucky people. There's been a lot of people that have had real trouble with their tomatoes this year. So I will keep holding you off as long as I can, as long as I have the strength. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think you have to try too hard. Oh, no. Okay. No. Well, I don't. I know you want to do the show, so. Oh, I've done it before. And that's why you're doing it now because, you know, (laughs) no, no, no. Get them out of there. (laughs) Well, thanks, Brian. And thanks for bringing the tomatoes in, too. 
So, folks, welcome to the second hour of the Garden Hotline. I'll be giving the tip of the trial shortly, but right now you can call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Yes, this is the time of year when you start fall feeding on fescues and bluegrass lawns. This is also the time of year where you have to realize there are grubs right near the surface There is only one grub that does damage to lawn, and it only does damage to bluegrass. It doesn't do damage to fescues. It doesn't do damage to zoysia. They can be there and present, but they're not really going to do damage to your lawn, or it's really too many other things as well. In this region, we have five different types of grubs because we have five different types of beetles. Those are just baby beetles is all they are. So it's the annual beetle, annual grub. That's the one that does the damage to the blue grass lawns. And by the way, thanks for having me on your show. Give a call. We can talk about plant selection, ups and downs and all arounds. Uh, you can Garden centers are starting to get all kinds of things you know, for fall planting, spring bulb-wise. I purchase them, but just don't put them in the ground yet. I don't, you know, I, I read something the other day that said you can put any kind of bulb in the ground that you buy right now except tulips. Wait till the end of October. I prefer to wait myself on any of the bulbs until things cool down temperature-wise. The soil will still be warm, so they're going to get plenty of time to get established. So your edibles, so how about your asparagus? What do you need to do? Should you cut down your asparagus? Why not? Should you do something with your strawberries? Why not? You got questions about that? Your ground covers, your house plants, your lawn, your perennials, roses, trees, shrubs, vines, or water gardens. I'll share my thoughts, but please remember my answers, comments, and opinions are certainly not the only garden path to take. And uh, Greg is, again, producing, so he's doing a couple hours of the garden line. Man, he's got the—he's really does well. I mean, I have things that happen, and I go—I just point— and he can read my mind, so he's a real master at all this engineering-type stuff. And um, if you'd like for me to come to your home and do a walk and talk, you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. and the homepage, there's an email address and phone number, and you can contact me, and we can schedule a time for me to come out. Tip of the Trial is a special recognition for individual group or a situation that's made an impression on me and is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Tip of the Trial goes out to University of Missouri plus the private companies that do soil testing. Stop guessing and find out what's in your soil because that could have a lot of, you know, a huge impact on, yes, maybe it is this causing your problems or this or this or this. Start with the very basics. Good, healthy soil. How are you going to find out if your soil is healthy? By getting a soil test. So the University of Missouri and there are private companies that do you know, soil testing. So just go online, look at soil testing for this region, and you can find out which ones you want to go to. Also, the tip of the trial goes out to Tower Grove Park. That's where I took my good gardening stroll this morning. And uh, because the Festival of Nations, that's on the east end of Tower Grove Park, up near Grand. But this is a great party. I mean, it's the food is fantastic. All kinds of different ethnic foods. And then also dancing, you know, souvenirs, you know, oh, just, I mean, you, you got to go. You got to go. But just realize that you probably can't park in the park, Tower Grove Park. 
you're going to have to probably take a shuttle, park away, or walk, or whatever you happen to choose. But they do have shuttle service for it. So tip of the trial goes out to the companies that do soil testing and then also to Tower Grove Park for doing the Festival of Nations, which is just absolutely great fun. Let's take a couple calls before we go to break. And let's go to Jim's yard, and Jim lives in East Alton. Hi, Jim. Hi. Good morning. Hi. Uh, I have... um I planted a row of blackberries um, last year. This is the second summer for them. Um, they bloomed like crazy. Uh, the berries started to form. They got about the size of a pencil eraser and just dried up. Right. That's because and, the plants aren't mature enough, and also our weather was just too severe. So as long as the foliage looks good, the leaves look good on it, the canes look good at everything— it's, uh, you know, you probably shouldn't have even, you know, plucked off the fruit anyway. First couple years yeah. of anything that you install, you shouldn't allow to, you know, set fruit because that really takes a lot of energy away from perennial type things. So in other words, f- you know, fruiting trees, peaches, pears, whatever, apples and canes like what you have. Mm-hmm. And my bell peppers, uh, I planted a row of bell, bell peppers and uh, the plants look great. They're about two and a half foot tall. Big, not a balloon one. <laughs> Thanks to Mother Nature and the weather. It was, it's been a tomatoes and peppers are in the same family. And that whole group, you know, for the most part, most people had real trouble with each one of those. So what happened is just, you know, there's nothing you could do. Even you say, well, I did additional watering, I watered everything else, but still the environment wasn't exactly right for, you know, good fruit sets. So that's what happened. Yeah, my banana peppers, they, they were great. Right. <laughs> they were just loaded. And when's the best time to uh, cut Rosa Sharon's back? Uh, basically, let them flower as long as you want. Wait till the foliage starts, you know, kind of falling off or, you know, discoloring, and then cut them back at that time. You can do it either right then or do it any time before the new growth begins next spring. Okay. All right. Thank you. Yep. Good luck with that. And let's get one more call before we go. Uh, Sharon lives in Baldwin. Hi, Sharon. Uh, Good morning, Mike. Hi. Uh, I have three miniature rose plants. I put them in this year Mm -hmm. uh, into large clay pots. I've got them on the back deck. They're very healthy. Um, My question is, when should I bring those in? I don't think they'll overwinter if they're just sitting out there in pots. Uh, so my plan is to bring them in. And what kind of environment should they be in if I bring them in the house? Well, bringing them in is going to be maybe more problematic than leaving them out. So I've grown you know, miniature roses in pots for a couple years. So they are pretty tough. So you know, putting a couple inches of mulch around the base of them, as long as the pot's you know, large enough that there's enough, let's say, potting mix or whatever around the root system to act as act as an insulator, that's fine. If you wanted to bring them inside, you can. But if you do bring them inside, just realize they have to be in maximum amount of sun, and you might even consider getting some grow lights to make sure they're getting enough light. Okay. Well, that was that was going to be my next question was uh, whether to put them under grow lights. If I decide to bring them in, I uh, hadn't even considered leaving them out. I thought they would die out there. They're pretty tough, to be honest. Okay. Well, I planted them bare root this year, and they've just really taken off. And, well, uh, so I'll, I'll have to 
consider whether just to mulch them or um, uh, and leave them out or bring them in. Right. Uh, uh, and while we're talking about roses, I have two old garden roses uh, uh, that are well established in my front yard. Uh, they both just bloom once a year. Uh, they're getting leggy, and um, you know the uh, the shoots are uh, don't have my, many leaves on them. Should I be cutting them back now, or should I wait? Uh, you can. I would probably wait a little bit until the foliage starts, you know, discoloring and starting to drop. And then cut them back and then, you know, make sure that you, when, I don't know how historically how you've done it, but generally traditional type roses, floribunda, you know, uh, rose hybrid teas or whatever it happens to be, you want to pile the mulch over the top of the canes. So you want about six or eight inches of mulch over the cane. So you can cut them back pretty severely. Well, these, uh, one of them is called Madam Isaac Perrine and the other is Madam Hardy. Uh, and I think they're one is considered a bourbon rose, and the other one is a uh, can't think of the name of it right now. But they're uh, but they're not floribundas, right? They're uh, not floribundas or hybrid teas or yeah. old time roses. Yeah, they're big, and they're big. Uh, they're big uh, rose bushes. In fact, uh, I don't have the best light uh, where they are, but they and I've brought them from another house. And they survived that, so uh, I'm just going to leave them where they are because they still bloom where they are. But uh, they they're just really starting to look awful. Well, that's why I'm saying cut them back severely. Okay, okay, okay. But wait until when the foliage starts dropping. Okay. Well, on one of them that's already started. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other that's getting more sun is um, it's it's a climber I've, I've got it on a trellis and uh, it's uh, looking very healthy well just go ahead and leave that one alone the one that's not you know this dropping foliage go ahead and just cut it back like I say I mean it's you know they're tough they've been in that spot for a long time so good luck with that thanks a lot Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. This past, uh, let's say, I guess it was Wednesday, um, what I have around my house is I have about a three-foot wide steel-edged area of rock. You know, drainage rock, Merrimack River rock, or river rock, the tan stuff. Because I have... The brick on our house is kind of brownish tan, so that's what I chose. But when I was walking around taking a look at things, I saw for the first time this season henbit. So when a henbit was coming up in the rock, shows you how tough it is. So landscape fabric doesn't necessarily prevent other weeds, you know, from coming in and germinating and sending the roots down through the landscape fabric. But henbit is one of the annual cool season weeds that putting a pre-emergent down this time of year helps eliminate them. So start watching out for henbit, dead nettle. They're both varieties of lamiums, common chickweed, annual bluegrass, prickly lettuce, the Persian speedwell, rabbit's foot clover, shepherd's purse. So those are the main weeds 
that are germinating right now. So getting the pre-emergent down, what does it do? It creates a chemical barrier, and then as the seed pops open and starts growing, the chemical barrier kills it. So that's the advantage of it. So I need to get some preen to put on my rock areas so I don't have things coming up. But I was just shocked to see that hen bit. Anyway, let's go down to Arnold South and into Doris's yard. Hi, Doris. Hi. How are you, Mike? Very good. Enjoy your show. Just a couple quick questions. What is the best time to transplant a hydrangea? Um, you could probably do it any time you want to, but the ideal time would be sometime in the fall when the ground is warm. So I don't know how big it is or anything else, but uh, you got to make sure that you water it the night before and then go out at where the stems are coming up out of the ground, go out about six inches all the way around and dig up the root ball. Gotcha, gotcha. And also the best time to uh, trim or have trees trimmed. Depends upon the type of the tree. Maples, birches, and beech trees, they can be pruned during the summertime. But the other ones, like the oaks and sweet gums and sycamores and things like that, it's better off for those to be done in the wintertime. Oh, you, after a freeze is what you're saying? Well, yeah, well, after the foliage starts falling or the, you know, the foliage starts discoloring or coloring, depending upon how well the fall color is going to be. Okay. So you've got right. you know you've got multiple months for each one. You know the ones that can be pruned in the summertime, the birch, beech, and maples. You've got basically from June all the way up until this time of year. And with the other ones, when the foliage starts turning colors and you know dropping, whether it turns color or just drops brown, it doesn't matter until the new growth begins. Gotcha. Now on the maple, um, so that we could enjoy the fall. Uh, foliage, would would it be all right to wait until after the leaves uh, start dropping in order to have them trimmed? Well, the maples should be pruned in the summertime. Oh, okay. So maples, beech, and birch, summertime is an ideal time to do the pruning on those trees. Okay. All right. Gotcha. All right. Well, thank you very much. Certainly. Now let's go to from Arnold over to Chester, Illinois, into Steve's yard. Hi, Steve. Hi there. Hey, uh, I got like four acres of ground here, and I seeded it with three acres. I seeded with the Kentucky 31 tall fescue. Mm -hmm. And uh, the other acre around the house I did with a turf-type fescue. Is there any way to get that line out of there? Like the 31 is a lighter green. Right. The turf-type is a darker green. Uh, Basically, you should have just kind of blended them together at that transition point. Okay, could a person go back in there and reseed over that? Yeah, line? absolutely. Would which one would you go with, the lighter one? Or the well, lighter? I would. You know, well, it depends upon your own preference. But you know, yeah. a single variety of one is not ideal. So having a blend of something is actually really good. So what I would do is get some of each, and at that transition point, I would spread the seed of both of them together. Okay. Okay, I'll try that then. See how it works. Good luck. Okay, thank you much. Bye. Yeah, I mean, you've got a pretty good-sized lawn, so you must spend a lot of time mowing grass. So thanks, Steve. And now let's go stay in Illinois, go up to Wood River from Chester into Keith's yard. Hi, Keith. Hi, how are you doing? Very good. Okay, well, I tell you, i got zoysia yards in the front and the back, but I'm, I'm, uh, the back is the worst. i got crab grass, and it's just growing out of sight, taking my zoysia over my zoysia, you know. Right. And then got the... 
I guess that's what you call grabgrass. They close, uh, grows in, in clumps. Right. And I'm full, I don't want to, instead of going around trying to dig this all out, and I know I can't get all the roots out, but what should I do with that just the way it is? Basically wait until next year, and crabgrass is a warm season weed. So when the yellow forsythia is in bloom or get a soil thermometer, and when your soil temperature in your yard is between 50 and 55, put the pre-emergent down. Okay. Uh, how about li- how about lime? How should you lime once ever so many years? No, you should not. Basically, you get if you have a soil test done and you find out your soil is extremely acidic, putting lime down, yes. But for the most part, lawn, trees, plants, everything like a slightly acidic soil. So putting lime down could be having a tremendously adverse impact on your plant material. So the okay. University of Missouri did studies. They say plant material does best when the soil pH is between 6 and 6.5. Seven is neutral. Anything above seven, that's, you know, it's not ideal for your plant material. Certain ones like lilacs, clematis, they want a more alkaline soil. But for the most part, plant material does not like, you know, let's say a limey soil. So routinely putting lime down is not to the advantage of your plant material at all. Unless you get a soil test done and the soil test says like somebody called a couple weeks ago and said their soil test indicated their soil pH was 4.5. I said, how could it be that low? That just seems impossible. But if it is something like that low, then you should be putting lime down. But other than that, you should not routinely put lime down. Okay. Just one, one other thing that I'm done. Uh, mill organite, is that, that's what I've been putting down for my yard. Mm-hmm. Is that okay? Yeah, that's fine. I mean, it's a, a very low analysis type fertilizer. Yeah. Okay. Well, I thank you for the info. Certainly. Yeah, I mean, the whole lime thing where people thought routinely putting lime down was going to be to the advantage of plant material is not right. So let's go to Chris and Fenton. Chris, how are you? How are you today? Very good. Okay, I have three questions. If I'm repotting, do I need potting mix, potting soil? Potting mix. Potting mix. Okay. Next question. I have a plumeria that's about 19 years old. Ooh. I chopped it off at about three feet, and it has shot up four new branches that are really lush and lots of leaves, no flowers. What do I need to do? Leave it alone. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's, you know, on new stems or branches on plumeria or anything, it could take a while before it's going to be able to have, let's say, the energy to produce the flowers. Okay, okay. And my last question, azaleas, when do they set the flowers? Uh, it's happening right now. Okay, so don't trim them. Right, exactly. Anything that flowers in the springtime, the flower sets, you know, the buds start forming in the late summer, early fall, and then are fully formed by the time, let's say, winter begins. Okay, perfect. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Yep. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Yep, it's that time of the year again. Please get ready for school. Your morning routine is about to change. Where are the school supplies? As you get the little ones ready for school, don't worry. We've got everything you need to get the morning going. (laughs) From up-to-the-minute news, the latest forecast, what's happening with traffic, and so much more. There's the bus! Wake up to Total Information AM, the perfect way to start the school day or any day. Weekday mornings beginning at 5 on KMOX. 
This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller, on KMOX. Yes, folks, questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Scott lives in Mid-County. Hi, Scott. Good morning, Mr. Miller. I enjoy your uh, advice and counsel. I like to query and put malorganite down in my yard, but I notice sometimes I get weeds going. Uh, if I put a pre-emergent down, how long do I have to wait before I core aerate? I'm worried about disturbing that barrier that you talked about a few calls back. Well, what I would do is probably core aerate first and then put the pre-emergent down. And then how many months do I need to wait before I core aerate again? Uh, you don't have to core aerate, but you know, twice a year, basically. Sometime in late summer, early fall, and then again in May. Okay. Very good. Thanks for your help. Yep. And uh, just remember, pre-emergent, you cannot do any lawn seeding after that because it kills. So always you know, read the label, read the label. I don't care what you're doing, how long you've used a product, reread the label because some, you know, some companies have done different uh, tests and decided, well, maybe we should change it. So you're very familiar with doing it, blah, 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 but still read the the label. Save your plant material. Barbara lives in Fairview Heights. Hi, Barbara. Hello. Good morning. Hi. I, I, I am still having a problem with a groundhog eating my sweet potato vines. They don't eat the vines. They just eat the leaves, which leaves me with a real spiky, um, you know, covering for my wing wall. I am throwing up my hands and admitting defeat. I have tried the pepper spray, the liquid fence. Uh, one of your callers even recommended a product, which I bought. The problem is the groundhog knows when it rains and rinses off all of the chemicals. <laughs> Honestly, yesterday we were out there two or three different times spraying, you know, this this uh, pepper spray. Right. And he just went under the neighbor's deck and watched. And then whenever it rained, he was back again. <laughs> uh, so I'm pretty well admitting defeat this year with my sweet potato vines. And I would like to have a suggestion on a cascading vining cup, you know, like something that would cover my wing wall that I could try next year and maybe it won't be as appealing uh, to the little critters around, you know, my neighborhood. Well, to be honest with you, if it's dry, they're going to tr- eat anything that's easily accessible. So, I mean, okay. that's kind of what you're really looking at. So, okay, he's not eating the neighbor's ivy, right? But it attached, it, it attaches, and I don't want something that attaches to the wall, right? So, so really, there's no. Just experiment around and see if I can come up with something. Yeah, exactly. Or? And you're probably going to, you know, most of the, let's say, evergreen type ground covers that, that will cascade like what you're talking about do have the ability to have these sort of modified roots, and that's how they climb or cling. And so that's why okay. going with a traditional type, let's say, ground cover, be it winter creeper, be it, you know, the various types of ivies or anything else, you're going to be getting something that you don't want. So you're going to have to fool around with some just different type of cascading type annuals. Now, is this area, is, I'm assuming it's in the full sun. It's in full sun. Well, yeah. um, I would say at least by 11 o'clock. There's a tree that covers it for a while in the morning. But from about 11 a.m. until sunset, yes, it's in the full sun. Right. So, I mean, 
you know, I mean, what you're using is probably the best plant material that you can use. Have you ever thought about, do you know where his hole is? I mean, they usually live in like a bank of a creek or something like that. We've got a, a you know, one of these neighborhood pond lakes oh, behind our home. Right. So um, I, I am right in back of um, Moody Park, if oh, you're familiar with yes. Moody Park. And there's just small neighborhood lakes, they call them. Um, I call it a pond. A real estate agent calls it a lake. <laughs> <laughs> because they're trying to sell. But anyway, have you thought about bringing a professional service and start trapping? Uh, I guess I could, you know, do something like that. I don't know. Um, it, it seems like there's just one, you know, that comes over and I think he's probably living underneath the neighbor's, you know, the neighbor's deck. It's a low deck. Well, you and, would see uh, the I, hole, you would see the groundhog hole to go underneath. I mean, they have to live in the ground. So that's why they're groundhogs. Yeah. So if, the, right. if you don't see a hole there, then he's not living underneath there. Okay. All right. That's where he always runs to. Like if we go out to the patio, that's, you know, he takes off and he goes to the neighbor's patio. Right. That's probably yeah, just a, the you know, deck. yeah, it's probably okay. a safe zone in his head. Okay. Okay. All right. So I, I guess that's a possibility to call critter control and uh, possibly have it, you know, possibly have it um, trapped, you know, taken somewhere else. Right. Yeah. Okay. All right. Otherwise, you know, just experiment around with, um, you know, other vines and see if I can get something different. Yeah. I mean, you're just, that's about all you can really do. Okay. But you think he's just going to, you know, munch around on anything I put in there? Especially if it's really dry and he's dry himself. I mean, they're going after moisture. They're not really eating per se. I mean, they can eat some of the plants, but they have all kinds of, usually when I see the groundhogs, you know, during the walks that I take and everything else, usually they're munching on like clover and stuff like that. They're not eating vines and there are some vines and things, you know, so I would say they're going after moisture more so than the food quality. Even though we've had quite a bit of rain in the last couple of weeks, he's still just, I think he's finding it delicious. Well, yeah. And he's probably into a bad habit. I mean, yeah. wildlife is just, they're like people. They become a little bit OCD and say, well, you know, I got to get up in, in the morning and go eat some of this. Yes. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, um, just short of capturing him, I might try something different next year and, um, you know, just ask my, um, you know, my local nursery that I use, you know, to make some suggestions. Too, right. So, okay. We'll see what happens. I'll probably be calling you though again next year to <laughs> <laughs> maybe you'll give me a good report. I hope so. I hope so. Thanks for your information. Sure. Let's go now from Fairview Heights to Eureka. Linda, how are you today? I'm doing fine. Thank you. Um, I was wondering, is there any kind of a shelf life to, uh, like, weed be gone? Uh, If it's in the garage and things like that where it can freeze and thaw and this and that and everything, we're talking about liquid as opposed to... Liquid, yeah. Yeah, so as opposed to a grain or type thing. Uh, there probably is. I don't know specifically what it is, but uh, freezing and thawing is not always good for liquids. So if it's, like I said, sitting in the garage and it has a potential where it's frozen during the very coldest part of the wintertime, that's not you know really good for it to have happen. So if that's the case, maybe bring it inside and just put it in your basement on a shelf away from everything else. Well, I found I was cleaning out my garage and I found two 
uh, bottles of it that are probably five years old. <laughs> well, you could fool around just, with them. You know, you know, try some on some broadleaf weeds and see what happens. I mean, maybe they're so, done. Maybe they're okay. But uh, sometimes freezing and thawing can kind of alter the chemical aspects of uh, pretty much anything. Okay, well, I, I won't hurt anything by trying. No, not at all. Don't spray it over the entire yard. Just, you know, get a three-by-three-foot area and spray on the broadleaf weeds that are in there and see what happens. See if it works. See if it kills everything else. And you just end up with a three-foot square dead patch with nothing. Oh, my neighbors are used to that in my yard. <laughs> <laughs> then go for okay, it. Party you. on. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Sure. Bye. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. If you're thinking about adding mulch to your landscape, three to four inches around trees and shrubs, one to two inches around your perennials. But just remember that adding mulch, St. Louis Composting Mulch, it's going to raise your soil temperature a little bit. So before you put the mulch down, you're better off to water. That water will keep it cooler for the plant material root systems and everything else. So if you're planning on mulching, just realize no matter what you, where you're getting your mulch or anything else, that it raises soil temperature. So water first. That's the best thing you can do. Let's head out to St. Peter's and go into William's yard. Hi, William. Hey, Mr. Miller. Thanks for taking my phone call. Sure. I was curious. Um, I'm at a point right now where my weeds are overwhelming. And I know you, I, when I was calling in, I think you were addressing it, but I couldn't hear you. I want to do it right this year. So I want to tackle the weeds just so I can get the most out of the seed, the uh, compost, and the aeration in October. So, I mean, would it be okay to spray my weeds now to tackle that? So you're going to kill everything? So are you, well, like, spraying Roundup, or are you using a broadleaf weed killer? Because a lot of the weeds right now are grassy weeds, and, you know, a weed and feed, a broadleaf weed killer won't affect those at all. Okay. Well, I, I got some stuff for specifically for the crabgrass. Okay. That's primarily what I'm dealing with. And so would it be okay if I tackled the crabgrass today and then in a month? come back and do all that stuff with the seed. Yeah, because, so in other words, this crabgrass killer is a post-emergent killer. So in other words, it kills, you know, after things are actively growing. So consequently, it's, you know, if you wait for three or four weeks, read the label and make sure, but, Mm -hmm. you know, you should be fine. Okay. Yeah, it's overwhelming. So I just wanted to do it right. So I appreciate your time. Yeah, and again, uh, then next year, think about putting the pre-emergent down because your crabgrass has been dropping crabgrass seed all summer long. Okay. All right, we'll do. All right. Thank you. Yep, and now let's go to Dominic and Baldwin. Hi, Dominic. Hi, how are you doing today? Good. Awesome. Um, I have a question. I have a garden um, with a couple of cucumber plants. Uh, Whenever they start growing, they'll grow, you know, wider and longer. But at a certain point, they'll just stop growing wider. Like, it'll grow wide, and then it'll stop, and it'll be just like a little nub of what it used to be. I was wondering, was that just something in the cucumber where the water wasn't getting to that end part, and it was just getting to the first half of the cucumber, or what was going on with that? That could probably be the case. 
because some people okay. like them because cucumber, I mean, those vines go and go and go and go. And it's really yeah. difficult for the plant to move all the you know, nutrients, moisture, and everything else to the end. So you're almost better off you. to, like, limit the length of the cucumber vine. I got you. All righty. Yeah, that was just about my only question. Thank you. Great. And, uh, you know, if you have good success with it, I mean, everybody wants things to grow and grow and grow and grow, and that's not necessarily the best thing to do. So especially if you're trying to harvest something. So thanks. And and now let's go into Kirkwood, into David's yard. Hi, David. Yeah, I have a fescue uh, backyard, and I have uh, Bermuda grass that is uh, starting to take over. How do I get rid of the Bermuda so I can come back and seed or sod with fescue? If you know you've got a solid patch of Bermuda, I would just go out there with, with you know, cut it, you know, that area fairly darn short and just go after it with Roundup. And then how long do I have to wait before I can seed or sod? Generally, uh, probably seeding, probably 7 to 10 days. Sod, you could probably almost do it automatically, but I would not do it. I'd still wait for a few days because you want to make sure you're getting the maximum amount of kill off your Bermuda. And it's still, you're not going to kill it all in one application. It doesn't matter what you're using. So you got to you know kind of be somewhat patient and just realize, get the majority of it killed off, get the new stuff going, and then you might have to go after it next year as well. Could I do two applications of Roundup, like 10 days apart, or is that... Not necessary, no, because it's coming back from the root system, and the root system may not be, you know, may not have any foliage above the ground, because that's how it's translocated. It goes in through the grass blades, Bermuda blades, and down into the, let's say, the root system, and that's how it kills it off. But if some of them are not, uh, you know, sending out any kind of blades right at this time, it's not necessarily going to kill it. Okay, I agree. Well, thank you very much. All right. And now, Steve from O'Fallon, could you do it kind of quick? Yes, sir. Uh, thank you for taking my call. Sure. I planted some green giant trees to create a screen in my backyard. Right. right. And I was wondering how tall they would get, and can I top them when they reach the height that I would like them to stay at? Well, these green giant arborvitae get huge. I mean, it's surprising. I've been to some houses, and I was shocked at how big they are. So they're, you know, 20 feet plus. So as far as topping them off, uh, it may be a little iffy it's because you want to leave as much foliage as you possibly can. You could try it. I wouldn't necessarily cut them all off at the same height because it's going to look a little strange, but that's probably what I would, you know, you could give it a shot, but uh, it may end up just truncating the, the lifespan of the green giant arborvitae. Okay. So you said pretty tall. How tall do you think they would get? Well, I don't know. I've seen them 30 feet. Okay. So, so pretty, pretty big. Good. Yes, they are. Thanks, sir. <laughs> Certainly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're, they're great and everything else, but they do get massive. I was at a house the other, you know, I guess two weeks or three weeks ago. I was absolutely shocked at how tall it because I, I said, what are these? You know, I knew what they were, but, you know, she said, well, these were green giant. I said, how long have they been in the ground? She said about seven or eight years. So they got pretty massive pretty quickly, but they did correct soil preparation and everything else. So thanks to everybody for calling in. I greatly appreciate it. And don't forget the Festival of Nations in Tower Grove Park today. That could be a great time for you food-wise, music-wise, souvenir-wise, and everything else. So just have a fun day. So, And thanks to everybody for you know, being having me on your show. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. See you next week. 
This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.